Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi there. It's Jeremy Scheinwald, founder of the Mission Driven Group, here with another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. I'm here with David Greenberg. David was a lawyer at a prestige New York firm uh, until he moved apartments, and he was frustrated by the amount of time it took for him to change his address and started Updater. You may have pieced it together, but Updater is a dashboard which enables you to update and change all of your addresses at once. So you don't need to change your address with the bank and then utilities and more. It gets done quickly for you, saving you potentially five to 10 hours. Since 2011, Updater has helped hundreds of thousands of people move. 2% of all moves in the United States occur with Updater's fingers in the pot, uh, so to speak. Updater has raised $15 million from VCs and has almost 30 team members and is growing uh, in New York City. Go to updater.com and you'll see that they're t- you'll see their team with Halloween themes uh, on their photos currently. And um, if you want to use Updater, because it does sound appealing, and I mentioned I've got a move coming up and I do kind of want to use it, you're going to have to push your real estate agent because it's not a, uh, it's not a business-to-consumer product anymore. It's a B2B piece, and that features prominently in our interview with David Greenberg. So without further ado, here it is. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. David, thanks so much for thanks so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I, I've got to thank uh, Ben Hinman of Splash, uh, who referred you to us. I had a great time with him on the podcast. He's quite the character. He is a character. <laughs> That's. Uh, we'll start with that with that with that agreement. Uh, okay. So I'm I'm curious. Like, so you're you're uh, you started your career as a lawyer. We've we had I think we've had two um, two individuals who were lawyers turned entrepreneurs on the show, um, and I want to start there because. The law is often, my brother's a lawyer, and he always says that it taught him ways to think about all risk and not do things. And I'm, I'm curious um, about, well, actually, before we even talk about risk and entrepreneurship, I'm curious about, um, you know, were you, were you like the type of person who was like, I'm going to be a lawyer when I grow up, which is kind of what I was until I became an entrepreneur um, and, uh, or until I became an MBA? Or were you like, I'm in the category of like, I'm about to graduate, not sure what I want to do, law school seems like a logical path. This is like a 10-minute intro question. How did you end up in the law? Um, I thought I wanted to be a politician. Okay. And at the time, I thought going to law school would be a good way to start my career for a, for, you know, for a political future. Um, I ended up at law school, ended up really enjoying law school. I loved it. I did pretty well at Cornell Law School, and I got a job at Cravath, and that just seemed like a great opportunity. And so I got pulled into corporate law just because it seemed like a great opportunity. So, I mean, Cravath, for those who don't know, is like the pre- one of two or three of the preeminent firms in New York, in the world. Um, and, you know, I guess, so back to my, I guess, the, the, the question I, I started at the beginning, like, 
was being a lawyer helpful on your journey to Updater, or was it was it a risk mitigator? Was it constantly were you constantly thinking like I want to, I don't want to? Your you brother's know, right. I know, I know what he's saying. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't advocate entrepreneurs necessarily going to law school. I don't think it okay. necessarily helps with an <laughs> entrepreneurial career. Um, but at the same time, there were things at Cravath that I learned and opportunities that I had that I do think helped me along the way as an entrepreneur, um, especially working at a place like Cravath where you're put into situations that where you're punching kind of above your weight class, you're on deals that are really high profile. Even as a second or third year associate, you're negotiating against partners at other law firms. So you kind of gain some self-confidence and you kind of gain a voice that you might not otherwise have early in your career if you weren't at a place like Cravath. So it inspires confidence in yourself and that's helpful as an entrepreneur, but on average, the skills you learn as an attorney or at a big law firm are not that helpful for being an entrepreneur. Okay, I mean, I imagine the, 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 the hours are helpful, right? You get used to working really hard, yeah, yeah that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> it's different though, when you're doing client service and you're working for a deal that you're on, it's completely different than starting your own company and doing work for your right. own company. It's completely different. I mean, it's, it's more enjoyable to work for your own company. It, it's, it feels like you're doing it for yourself. Absolutely, I think that like when I started my company, there was I had an unlimited well of energy. Whereas my, my well of energy for others is, is limited. You know, that's right. Yeah, yep. for sure. Well, we'll let, let's get let's come back to that for sure. I'm, I'm also curious about one thing. Like, so the legend. I've I've, I've seen you tell the story on uh, a couple of video clips. I, th I think uh, I think I saw a, a, a pretty good uh, clip. I think we were on, were you on Fox. Was that yeah. The one? Yeah. yeah. Incidentally, you were way better dressed than Ben, who showed up. <laughs> he, he was admonished on Fox for wearing a T-shirt, really? and he claimed, he told them that he slept under his desk. So you were wearing a suit. Awesome. You, look, you look pretty good. Yeah, uh, it was a, probably the first time I'd worn that suit since cravat. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you dressed up. That's nice. So um, where was I going? To the, oh, yeah. So I was talking, talking about the the, uh, the the law and um, how you got to update her. And the, the, the mythology that is that is that um, you know you moved and that it was a real hassle for you. And you were like, someone's got to make this process easier. Yeah. I'm that guy. Um, but I'm also curious about another thing, which is, you know, Cravath, a lot of prestige and pretty incredible compensation for guys, what, like 25 at the yeah. time. How did you, how did you walk away? Like, what was the, what was the thought process? And, and I'm also going to maybe take a leap here and assume with a name like David Greenberg, that you're a Jewish guy and that I, I'm Jewish. I had, I had parents who were, who were like, you know, still of that generation where like a lawyer was being a big deal where your parents like, no, please stay. Because again, like to relate to it, that's the way my parents were when I left banking after a year. They were like, what are you doing? So again. You're you know. right. I am, uh, I am Jewish. I don't know how you figured <laughs> it out. Um, my parents didn't really care at all actually yeah. when I left. They, they uh, were really supportive. Um, I think I may have even told them after I quit. I'm not even sure I told That's them in amazing. advance, and they didn't really care that much. They thought it was exciting that I was going to try something new. Um, I didn't when I was moving, and I found the process to be really inefficient. I didn't initially think oh, I'm the guy who's going to solve this, and I had no plans at the time to leave Cravath. It was 2009, 2010, right. and everyone else was just worried about potentially being laid off. I mean, Cravath fortunately never laid off their their lawyers, but other law firms around the city were laying off tons of attorneys. So people uh, at Cravath viewed it uh, that we were lucky to have a job. Um, and a lot of people thought it was a little reckless and a little crazy that I quit my job at that time, especially because there was not the same ecosystem in New York to support entrepreneurs. There wasn't as many funded tech companies. There wasn't as many venture capitalists here. I, I feel like a lot of the the improvements in the New York tech scene have happened over the last four or five years. And I think it was at the very beginning in 2009. That's my, my, my sense, but 
Um, when I left Cravath, it wasn't because I thought I was going to be the one to solve the problem. I think it actually happened because one of my friends dared me. Uh, I <laughs> kept talking about this business idea because I thought the process was so inefficient, and I went online to look for essentially updater. I figured there had to be a great technology app out there that would help people organize all their moving tasks. And when there was nothing and everything in the industry seemed so spammy and just not trustworthy at all, I figured someone's going to create this product and it's going to be huge because there's so many millions of Americans moving every year. Everybody would love that product. Um, and so I kept talking about it. I kept bringing it up like when I was with my friends. Someone's going to create this app and it's going to be huge. It's going to be like the next big mega company. And I kept bringing it up and I think my friends thought it was annoying. And so someone said to me, if you like the idea so much, why don't you just quit your job and do it? And I said, maybe I will. And they're like, no, you're not. And I'm like, no, I am. And then a couple weeks later, I did. So Okay, so how much time <laughs> elapses between your move and you leaving Krabath? Uh, two months. Two months. You move and you determine you're going to turn your back on, like, what, I mean, what was it like to turn your back on not just the suit, but also, you know, the the paycheck and to go from being paid very, very well by by any standard, really, not just by a 25-year-old standard, uh, to not being paid at all. And I guess when you started out, I, I think we were talking about this earlier, maybe starting with pretty close to bootstrapping when you, when you, when you started. Yeah, no salary yeah. and no money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, what was what was the calculus in your head with the with the you know walking away from the salary? I was just, I guess, that convinced that the business idea was sound, which in hindsight is crazy. I don't know what I was thinking, I guess, but it seemed like a a reasonable risk or a reasonable gamble because the business idea was. I thought there was it was just there for the taking that someone's going to do this and might as well you know I might as well go. Give it a try. I guess you were right. So, so you so you start Updater. Was was what was Updater? Was Updater? You know, the, was the model the same then as it is now? No, or? it's it's changed over time. I mean, the, the the basic concepts to help people who are moving organize all those moving tasks. Um, that's essentially the same. I mean, we help people forward their mail, update their accounts, subscriptions, transfer utilities. Those ideas were part of the initial product idea, but how we acquire our users and how the product actually works has evolved tremendously over the years. Right, so you've gone from, I think maybe we'll just get ahead, it's okay. Uh, you've gone from kind of like a consumer, how, how, how did that model change Yeah, it went from, it went from B you to C. you answer. It went from B to C to B to B essentially because initially we, we were advertising to consumers, trying to build a consumer brand, and then we, we realized over time that actually the best way to get in front of people who are moving and to have them trust our product is to is to partner with real estate companies. And we also realized that real estate companies were like real estate brokerages, mortgage companies, property managers, they were all actually desperate to help their clients and residents through the moving process. So we built products for those real estate companies to enable them to seamlessly invite all of their clients and residents to Updater. And now, the only way that people can get access to Updater is if they're invited in. So why, why, I mean, why would a realtor want to facilitate, make you, I mean, the retail, realtor, and I saw, I've bought and sold one house. It's like, okay, you know, I made my commission and now I move on. Like, why would a yeah. realtor want to add that value for you? And, yeah, and realtors think, and care. And pay for it, right? They do, yeah, the, yeah. It's the real estate companies that pay for it, the product is free for the consumer. Right. Um, so real estate professionals, they, to some extent, feel that they're under attack by a lot of the other technology companies. Um, some of them are trying to disintermediate realtors. And so realtors are always looking for new technologies to add value 
to the transaction process, especially with millennial buyers. They're looking for technology to add value. And Updater is a great way for them to improve their client experience, stay top of mind, generate referrals, retain clients. They see a ton of business value in offering this product. And also when they give Updater to their clients, it's all branded for them. It has their headshot on it, it has their brokerage logo. They can put nice personal messages in there. They can they have their own account where they can log into to essentially personalize and customize the moving experience for each of their clients. So they, they see a ton of business value in that. So did you say that like like as a consumer now, I couldn't, I need to be invited by a realtor or someone else, a mover or whatever? That's correct. Like that. Yeah, so if I you come to the, site, to the site, you can go to the site and then we're going to ask you who's your who's your mortgage professional? Who's right, your I did real that estate yesterday. I was wondering, okay. Yeah. It's not set up for me, okay. No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. No, that's very, very, very interesting. Um, inter- interesting model. So, so I mean, so going back to the beginning, we, we, we talked about this a tiny bit offline at the, at the beginning, but, um, you know, we are kind of getting there. It was, was the, you know, you leave Cravath and you're bootstrapping and then you're kind of raising money in, in, in small increments. Mm-hmm. I mean, tell me about that, Tell me about the, the first couple of, tell me about the first year and how you kept yourself afloat. The first year was a struggle because I had no idea what I was doing. So I was a sole entrepreneur, sole founder, I should say, my first company. Uh, I had no experience and I probably made every mistake in the book. So the first year was a struggle and it was also hard to raise money. Um, and fortunately, I found a few seed investors who believed in the vision and believed in me. And this is like a friends and family thing, or were these a few a friends and family? Friends, but actually, yeah. our primary initial seed investor was a, a guy named Grant that I met at a wedding. I was sitting next to him at a wedding, <laughs> <laughs> and as it, right around the time that I was leaving my job, and I was telling him about this business idea that I had, and he obviously thought it was a good idea too, and he stayed in touch as a friend and advisor. And eventually, he sent me an email and said, "Hey, I'll invest in this company." and sent me some money. So he was just an angel, he wasn't like an experienced investor? Uh, no, he's, he is an investor, he's okay. a professional investor, but um, you know, he's, he's my age, and I think he was, he was relatively new in his career as an investor. Hmm. Interesting. You never know where, uh, where that lurks. Okay, so yeah. I interrupted you as I'm prone to do. No, it's what, fine. <laughs> so, okay, so, so, so he gives you a little bit of stability and, and, and in, in that investment, and, and what, do you, what are some of the mistakes you were making? Because you, you, you were on your own, you were developing the product and out there trying no, to... No, I was trying to hire engineers. So okay. I got that money and proceeded to misspend all of it. So I'm sh- hopefully he's not listening. So, uh, yeah, we, the first year or so, we were hiring a few engineers to build a, a prototype of the product to help us raise maybe a venture capital round. Um, and we hired, well, I hired all the wrong engineers, all the wrong salespeople. The first year was just uh, one hiring mistake after another. And so hiring the wrong engineer, is that like discovering an engineer, um, you know, like on T, like it's like Ferris Bueller's like on TV at like the baseball game, or is that just like all this code doesn't work, or both? Um, Probably both. Uh, well, I, I didn't. It's my fault because I didn't know exactly what the right engineer, who the right engineer was. Right. And the big mistake was not finding a technical co-founder who could, you know, be in charge of that side of the business. I was an attorney with no technology background, so it was essentially it was inevitable that I was going to make those mistakes because I couldn't identify who the right engineer or product person was. So okay, so 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 what kind of what kind of damage does that do? I mean, it's, it's it's all it's all in the past, obviously. But like having the wrong engineer, I mean, aside from just being frustrating, you know, I mean, and, and maybe slowing down your timeline. Like, mm-hmm. how did what kind of damage does that do? And how what did you, how did you learn from that? Like, how did you make sure you you corrected that? How do you how did you know? 
having hired the wrong person, how did you know how to hire the right person and avoid that mistake, especially someone who's not technical, which is, which is tricky. I made, as I mentioned, I made a few different hiring mistakes. So the, the, I learned from the mistakes though, when I hired the wrong type people, I, it pushed me in another direction and then maybe I would hire another wrong person that pushed me in a different direction. So eventually I figured out exactly what I was looking for, but I figured it out all through mistakes. Um, and we went down the wrong path during the first year in a few different ways, and so we inevitably we wasted money. But I think that's part of the process. I don't. I think many entrepreneurs would identify with that. That at the very beginning they went in the wrong direction. But I think you have to be able to recognize when you make a mistake and turn around and go back in another direction. Um, and you have to be stubborn and still be willing to push forward. Uh, I'm happy that I didn't just give up, and that I also that when I did recognize mistakes. I made changes. I either parted ways with those engineers or I built a different type of product. You know, I actually didn't just, I didn't just uh, acknowledge that I made the mistakes, I actually corrected them and, and fixed them. All these years later, how thorough and robust is your hiring at this point? Well, now the process is, is completely different. Right. Uh, I have a much better sense, obviously, of what who we're looking for in all sorts of roles. I, I now have um, a CTO who's essentially my business partner, um, and so he's obviously in charge of the, the engineering hires, but um, across the company, I think we have a very good sense of the type of professionals we're looking for. And the, the hiring process now involves um, candidates who apply to Updater. Uh, if we invite them in, usually they'll meet with me and maybe one or two other people, and we'll spend a lot of time getting to know them uh, and digging into their background. Generally speaking, if we think that they'd be a fun person to work with, if they think, we think they'd be really good on the team, then we'll invite them in for a full day. And what we do is we actually have them work with us for a full day in the office. We give them the assignments they'd essentially get on their first day of work at Updater. And we see how they start attacking those problems, what questions they ask. Uh, we don't expect them to be able to successfully complete all those tasks, but you can get a sense of what their first day or two is going to be like. And that's a really good way to figure out if they're going to be uh, a, good a good team member and a good fit for the team. So now the hiring process is actually really robust. Yeah, I guess, I, guess, I guess they've got a problem solved because they don't know anyone and they've got to make a good impression. Yeah. <laughs> you got a sense of how gritty they are. That's, that's brilliant. I might, I might, uh, that might be a best pr the first best practice that I've, I've heard on the show that I really immediately adopted in my own company. Well, some, of, some of the candidates are surprised when we say, all right, well, you need to give us a full day. You're going to come in and work a full day before, right. before we hire you. I've never heard of that. That's, how, did you guys, how did that evolve? Uh, I think Ryan, our CTO, had been doing that at one of his previous companies, and, that's, uh, and he recommended it. I thought it was a brilliant idea, and so... And, and you're at like what, th about 30 people now? Yeah. About 30 people. Um, have, you, have you got to the point where maybe you're, I, may, I don't know if you can say this off the, on, on the record, and maybe you're not remembering everyone's names every day? Or you're, you're no, I know everyone's names, of 30. course. I, don't, I think there's a breaking point. At a, it's at, not at 30. What's the, what do you think the breaking point is? Oh, man, it's got to be probably closer to 100. Uh, I, I think maybe you're better with names and faces than me. I think, no, I think, I'm not I think, good at names and faces. I'm actually <laughs> terrible with it. But maybe I, I'm not that good. I know everyone that works at, at Updater, though. <laughs> I guess you're right. Maybe we can edit that out. <laughs> I'm not going to edit that out. I'm willing, I'm willing to look silly. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. 
So, I mean, so you mentioned this, like, kind of, um, you know, this, you should have had a technical co-founder. Yeah. But, I mean, should you have? Because you guys found your way, right? Like, you're here, and you've got, you've got uh, you know, 30, 30 employees, all of, whom's na- all of whose, whose names you know. And, so things uh, have got to be going well. Exactly. Yeah. And you've got, you know, we've got $15 million in, in, uh, in VC funds raised. And, I mean, really, like, do you, I mean, maybe everything worked out. Yeah, you could look at it that way. Things have worked out. Um, uh, the company's doing really well right now, and it's at a really exciting place. But I believe I would have achieved, you know, where we are now, I think we would have got there much faster if I had a technical co-founder from the beginning. Uh, okay. Because because we did spend the first few years, we made a lot of mistakes, and I think some of some of them could have been avoided if I had a co-founder who either had uh, run a company in the past or who had some technology expertise. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So you entered the National Association of Realtors Tech Incubator, um, and... Like, is this an incubator as we know it? Like, as 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 we, you know, the sort of high-profile New York, you know, well, tech incubators. You you go to Chicago once a month to meet with the 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 NAR team. The NAR is National Association of Realtors. Um, so we went there every month. We'd meet up either at a real estate convention or we'd go to their headquarters in Chicago and work together for a few days. But the companies don't all move there or work together in a certain location. It's a the program lasts uh, maybe seven eight months and you meet once a month for a few days. Okay, and so what did you, did you have to give anything up to, 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 yeah. to join? You did. Um, okay. We had to give up a warrant to buy stock in our company, so they have a, you know, a percentage of our company. So a non-profit national real estate, so that's an interesting model. Like I'm, I'm yeah, well they have a venture capital division called Second Century Ventures, so yeah, NAR essentially has a VC arm within the association, and it's a really successful uh, venture capital division. But they, they've invested in companies that are adding value to their membership, right. right? So it makes sense for them because they get to have an influence over those companies. And so they've invested in, in DocuSign, which is a really successful company um, in the real estate space. When they see, I think, companies that are adding a lot of value and potentially even disruptive in the real estate space, you know, they want to be involved. And uh, the, the money, if they make money, goes you know, back to the member, you know, goes to their organization. So it can be really right. advantageous for them. And is, is this, is this when you had the, when did you have the epiphany that it was time to change from a B2C model to a B2B2 a B2, to B model? It was right around that time. Um, we were, I was thinking more and more about how we could try to partner with real estate companies, but that's, it's really hard because I wasn't an expert in the real estate space at the times. So, and I didn't have a lot of connections in the real estate industry. And, but I was thinking about it. And then one of our, our VCs, um, called me and, and said, hey, by the way, there's this technology accelerator that the National Association of Realtors is running. Is that at all interesting to you? And I said, yes, that's actually very interesting to me. Right. Uh, and I thought it was an amazing opportunity for us. So that's how we started to go in this B2B direction. And so I'm, I'm assuming that, that the, this incubator was you know, highly influential in you establishing those contacts. Yep. And how did, how did you... How did you give up on the like? Did, was was one day you're like, okay, B two B is it, B two C is done? How did you make the like? How do you shut off one spigot? I assume you had clients. Like, isn't it kind of hard to say no to people who want to sign on? Yeah, it's interesting. We get thousands and thousands of people coming to our site every month trying to sign up and right. emailing us saying, "I want to use Updater. I heard Updater is awesome." And we say, "Well, go ask your real estate company for it. Go ask your real estate professional. They have to buy it for you." Interesting. Um, and so it actually creates more sales pressure for us uh, for real estate professionals to sign up. Um, and when we first started working with NAR, we actually didn't even have a B2B product. We didn't have a product built for real estate professionals. So at that time, we still were, of course, B2C. But over time, we, we realized how successful it was um, 
working with real estate companies and over time it now has come full circle where we only work with real estate companies. But I'm curious about that that specific decision to re refuse clients, like because <laughs> like I always say, like I'd, I'd almost rather not have the clients than turn someone away. It's it's very hard for me. We've never we, in my company we we were a service company. We've we've, we've only once or two, every year we have turned away a small number of clients, but it's it's our peak season. But it's like it's it's horribly painful for me. And so I'm curious how like you know I guess I, I mean t I mean tell me about that when did, when did you shut the spigot off and how did, how did you determine that that was it was okay like why not have both channels? It became obvious to us to do that um, when we don't have enough resources. We, we're growing so quickly right now in terms of the number of real estate companies that are partnering with us and integrating with us. I Means hundreds of major brokerage firms and property managers that now offer Updater to all their clients and residents. And we wanted to focus our energy on building great technology for those real estate companies and for their clients and residents and because they were paying us. And so our focus needed to be on delivering for them and their clients and residents. So when random consumers would come to our site and want to use our products and services, they we viewed them as actually diverting so they resources paying, away. They weren't paying, they weren't paying anything. Okay. They were just coming to the site and you know sometimes we were spending a lot of customer service effort on them and we realized this we don't have an, we don't have enough team members to deal with them. And also on average, people who come to our site um, who aren't invited from a real estate company they don't use the product uh, in the same way that those who are invited in use it. Sometimes they come to our site too late in the moving process, so we're not as helpful as we could be as if they had been invited in two, three, four, five weeks earlier. And oftentimes they don't trust our site as much as the consumers who are invited in by their real estate agent. So when we work with a real estate professional, we invite their clients maybe five weeks before they move, and the real estate professional tells the client, hey, I bought you this product, you're gonna love it, it's gonna help you complete all your moving-related tasks. And so that consumer already trusts us, they come use the product at the right time when we can be the most helpful. It just works better. Right, that makes sense. So uh, coming out of this incubator, um, kind of a you know, bit of a new model, how many people are on the team at this point? Um, about 20. About 12, wow, so you really you really had staffed up at that point. So I mean, had you done your, your first after your angel round, you'd already done some fundraising at that point. I'm That's assuming. right. We had raised at that stage. We'd raised about five million dollars. Five million dollars. So what did that five million dollars enable you to do? Uh, hire the hire the 20 people <laughs> yeah it, it, that's, that's pretty much right I mean most of our I'm gonna roll today most of our costs go to uh -huh. well that's not true with every company most of our costs go to our personnel we, we don't have a lot of marketing expenses um, so we were able to hire more engineers more customer service professionals that that's what we did with the money so if you're okay so you're, you don't have a lot of marketing and you've got a lot of, of tech how is your role changing when you get that that you know, five million. Sorry, five five million dollars that, that that you had at that point. Yeah. How was your role as a manager? Like, what are you as a manager doing? Um, if in in you know at at that point. My role has changed a lot since then. So back then, I was the one doing all the sales. Um, so I was the one who was meeting with real estate companies, trying to convince them to sign up. But we saw so much inbound demand. I realized there was a huge opportunity pretty early on in the process. Uh, the first the first speech I ever gave to a a room full of realtors at a at an NAR convention. I was describing this product, and, and I, was t I was telling all these realtors, "Hey, you know how when your clients move, they always are complaining about how painful the process is. They're always calling and emailing you, asking which utilities are available. How do I do this?" Well, we have a product that makes it seamless for your clients, and we're now going to build a new product that allows you to invite all of your clients, and you can take all the credit for it, and you can even personalize it and customize it just for them. And I, I was only about you know, two or three minutes into my speech and I got interrupted by four or five different realtors just asking me if they can buy it right now. 
<laughs> so right then and there, we knew, okay, there's a, there's a huge opportunity here because everyone's asking, well, what's the pricing? How much is it? I need it. I have, I have clients moving next week. I need this right now. They, they're they calling me like crazy, asking me all these questions. I need this product. So at that stage, we realized, okay, there's, there's definitely a market here. Um, and so my role is, you know, sales converted to hiring salespeople. So I started networking in the industry to try and find, you know, leading experts who could join our sales team and help me roll this out to the real estate community. So I'm sure there are many different ways of pricing, but like Ballpark, what does it cost a, a real estate agent to, to buy this for you? So we have a, a product just for an individual realtor and they can pay $150 a year for their own account. But generally speaking, we try to sell to the brokerage firms and to the mortgage companies, the property managers. We wanna to sell to larger companies so that they can roll it out to all of their agents and all of their properties, all of their loan officers. And so the pricing varies, depends how big the companies are and depends the extent of the customizations or which features they want and don't want. Um, so the pricing is kind of a case by case basis when it comes to the companies. Okay, makes sense. So, so, so you know, at this point, um, I don't know, I, mean, I don't wanna put you on the spot to talk about financials, but you're still, you're in the process, you, you're, you've raised more than that in, than, than your you know, initial round you had $8 million, I think, and, and that you raised um, five and then three later right. on. Yep. Saw that in the press releases. And then since subsequently, you've raised another $7 million? Yeah, so we've raised more money recently, and uh, we're probably going to raise more money before the end of the year as well. Oh, wow. Okay. What do you need the money for? Like, like what, I, 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 don't, I don't understand tech very well. So like, how, like, <laughs> Hiring more people. Like, uh, we want, people we to want to grow what, towards 100 employees. Okay. Um, so I actually think we're understaffed in every department right now. Um, our client success team is only three, and they're they're managing relationships with hundreds of real estate companies and onboarding hundreds of real estate companies. Uh, the appropriate size for our client success team is probably closer to seven to ten. Right. So we need to hire four or five. Our sales team right now is six. It should probably be ten to fifteen. Our engineering team is seven. It should probably be ten or twelve. Um, and right now, there's only two senior executives of the company. It's myself and Ryan. We don't have a VP. Your of CTO is Ryan. That's right, yeah. right, our right. CTO. We don't have a VP of product, and we don't have a VP of sales and success. So we'd like to hire more senior executives as well. Um, so that's the hiring needs in the next six months. And then from there, I think we'll double again. Okay. So, so we need a lot of money to hire the team. Sounds reasonable. The the The... the so, I mean, I'm assuming if you're still raising money, I mean, I suppose you could be highly profitable and still raise money. That could make sense, I guess. But um, We're not highly profitable. Uh, okay. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> want to put you on the spot to say that. So how, yet. how important are profits? Uh, profits? Yes. Uh, I don't think are as, in the short term, they're not important as building a technology infrastructure or a network that in the long term is scalable and defensible. That's what matters. So right now we're building a network of hundreds and hundreds of real estate companies that are integrating with Updater. They're inviting all of their clients and residents to use the product. And that is going to create a relocation network that has never existed before in this country. So we think that if we have enough of those real estate companies integrated with us and enough of those consumers using our product, then eventually we, can, we have the, essentially the bargaining power to bring the entire relocation experience into our application. You know, we, we can work with you know, traditionally stubborn moving companies, utility companies, cable companies, and, and essentially allow us to become the user experience layer between the people who are moving and those businesses so that the process of moving can become incredibly efficient and seamless within our application. So, I mean, we, we're looking to reinvent the relocation industry from every angle. Um, and so that's our vision. So in the short term, we're not thinking about profits. We're thinking about how do we build this network and this infrastructure to win the entire industry. 
So give, give us a sense of the industry. Give us some stats on how many people move, how many how many unique moves there are a year, I guess, and, and what percentage of the market that you guys own at this point? Yeah, sure. So there are 17 million unique household moves in America. Um, we're the most transient population in the world. Americans move at a rate uh, that other countries don't <laughs> don't move at. And so uh, about 12 or 13% of our population turns over every year. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, Americans tend to move for school, for jobs, uh, for housing needs at a each of those categories is at a rate above most other countries. Um, so we, we think the process is is broken for consumers. I mean, on average, when Americans move, we, we think they waste five to 10 hours reaching out inefficiently to about 20 different businesses. That's how I had the idea for the businesses because I was making a list of the 20 businesses that I needed to contact and I called it my update list. And I realized, oh, okay, on, on Monday, I gotta go call 20 different businesses to update all my accounts, organize a moving company, transfer over my cable. Um, that inefficiency is ridiculous because it's a, a time when Americans actually need to make a ton of decisions and they need to reach out to a bunch of different businesses. And then on the other side, you have all these businesses who are desperate to communicate with movers and they have no channel through which to communicate with those movers. You know, a lot of American businesses don't know that their own customers are about to move in two weeks or move two weeks ago. And so the communication channels are broken and it causes huge inefficiencies on both sides. And so we want to become that communication layer that allows American businesses to intelligently communicate in a really helpful contextual way with people who are moving and allow those movers, the people who are moving to make great decisions very efficiently within Updater. And then at the same time, you have all these real estate companies that have no way of helping their clients and residents through the moving process. And so it's broken from every angle. And we think that you know, if we build the right technology, we can solve that problem. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. It's interesting because you mentioned that you know, 2011 you're creating this list that your updater list. Was the updater URL available? Uh, no, I had to so buy it. <laughs> did, you, did you buy it at the time, or did you buy it later on? In classic lawyer fashion, I negotiated an option to purchase, because I knew I couldn't afford it at the time, so I paid a few thousand dollars to buy an option, and I knew at some point in the future I'd have enough money, hopefully, to actually exercise that option. Um, so, yeah, probably one of the only entrepreneurs that have ever negotiated an option contract so, for, <laughs> for a URL. So this is this is your your legal your legal career. Yeah, was I guess crucial, I'm proving myself yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah, it was helpful. But so so what was what was updated to start? Was it like uh, you know Dave Greenberg's uh, fun list of uh, like of, of moving? That's correct. That's the URL tools and stuff. Dot com. Yeah, dot com. There you go. Yep. Uh, no, it was UPDTR. UP, oh, I see. That okay. one was available. So okay. updater without the vowels. I think back then it was kind of cool to have a. A URL without the vowels, right? Uh, so I th think maybe I thought that was cool, but it's not. So when did Updater become Updater? I think I think it's cool. I'm it's I'm, cool. I'm, I'm working with that cool. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. All right. Yeah. Um, Updater became Updater after we raised our Series A round of funding, and I had enough money to actually exercise that option. Right. And then we immediately switched over to regular Updater. Okay. Um, that's interesting. The when do you um, so things change when you raise the money, not just not just obviously the the. The fact that you have a little more, a lot more liberty to go out there and, and hire and execute on the vision that you want, um, but also now you have people who are expecting things from you, and you have. To, I'm assuming you have board meetings and VCs occasionally telling you how to run your business and stuff like that. So yeah. can you talk about some of the changes that you experienced um, 
you know, in the in your own professional dynamic once you have that kind of money? For us, it didn't change as much as it may as it may have for other companies. Uh, our VCs, we always had a great relationship with them. They were always super helpful and really supportive. So I think I was lucky that I had great VCs, and so I didn't view the board dynamics changing in a way that uh, my job as CEO was impacted. Um, it, it went. It was really smooth working with our venture capital firms. Um, so I don't think my role as CEO necessarily changed because of the board dynamics or because the VCs were involved. They were more just there to help me when I needed help. So what is um, like? What are the obstacles now that you've, you've got this money and you're raising more? It seems not to be difficult because you're. You seem to make. I mean, I, I don't. Maybe that's an oversimplification. It seems to be. You seem to have momentum towards raising these funds. Yes. You know, you've got two percent of this, of this massive market. I mean. What are what are the needs right now? Um, you know, if you could wave your magic wand and, and make something go away to make your life a lot easier, what would it be? If I could ma- wave the magic wand, I would have the, all those new employees who are fantastic. <laughs> okay. uh, because Fair. it's really hard to find great talent. It's, so it's easy it's, to hire people, so but it's not easy is, to hire great is, people. Is talent the only thing that's inhibiting the company right now? The- so I view my job as finding the best talent possible and setting the strategic direction for the company and inspiring the rest of the team to want to come along on that journey with me. Um, But I try to, when I'm hiring, I I think that's a really important job, the fact that I'm in charge of hiring a bunch of people because my job is to hire people who are awesome at their job and then get out of the way. I don't want to hire people that I need to teach how to do their job. I want to hire people who are better at, a lot better at me at that job and then can kind of essentially teach me the right way to do it and I can just get out of their way and let them do their thing. That's my, that's my management style. So I'm looking for people who are awesome and in, in New York it's not always that easy to find people, you know, especially like engineers or product people who are amazing at their job. There's so many great funded tech companies and there's only so many of these employees that have these skill sets. Um, so it's competitive. It's hard to find those people. So how are you attracting? How, like, like someone, it's super competitive. Someone's choosing between you and 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 Splash. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know why I keep bringing up Ben, but uh, he's going to bring second office. Second is plug. Pretty awesome. Yeah, he has. He, he might have a competitive advantage in terms of his office. <laughs> he talked about it. It, was, it sounded it's pretty amazing. Crazy. It yeah. like he's like basically Willy Wonka or something like that. But I mean, what are what are uh, I got to stop by and check it out? What, so I mean, but what are what do you do to attract talent? How do you how do you make it seem like a super appealing place to? I mean, well, I, it I, is a super appealing place to work. I, I mean, people not, not people. Seem, how do you reveal that to but people. That's exactly right. That's key. We've actually seen a lot of success with our existing employees bringing in their friends. So we have <coughs> thinking, we have one employee who's brought who's helped me hire three of her contacts and friends from her previous company. Um, and, and Ryan, for example, uh, two of his friends wanted to come work at the company. So I think some of our employees love their job so much and, and believe in the vision so much that they're talking about it with their friends in the industry and their friends in the industry get inspired and they want to come work at Updater. That's been really successful for us. Um, also, we, we do sometimes work with you know search firms, you know, recruiters to help us. But generally speaking, um, we, we leverage our existing network of em- employees, sometimes even former employees, our VCs, and they help us identify the best talent. So... It seems like, despite some bumps and bruises at the beginning, things are, I mean, obviously looking, you know, the tra- trajectory is pretty amazing. Um, but I read the, I tried to read this article online that was behind the paywall. Oh, the Inman uh, article? Uh, Inman, yeah. yeah. And behind, behind the paywall, I'm like, 
I would normally even pay. I would. I would pay. I just like I'm like I'm, gonna, I'm never going to use this publication again in my life because I'm not in the real estate industry. Yeah. But you said so. It said something about you know Dave Green, David Greenberg talks about his scariest professional and personal moments and it's behind the paywall. So tell you me know, about the it's scariest amazing moments that you're asking about that because had you paid and you read that article, there's no way you'd be asking about this right now <laughs> because it says what is your biggest fear and my answer was spiders. <laughs> so I can elaborate on my arachnophobia if you'd like, but that was literally my answer. So it's probably the most uninspiring thing I've ever said and the least interesting thing I've ever said. But uh, yeah, that article. So <laughs> that is just your scariest pressure moments when a spider crawled across your desk? Yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah. No, they asked me what are my fears. And I said, right. I'm afraid of spiders. Right. Um, and they wrote that. So Well, I mean, especially now. I mean, your, your, uh, your team on your website now is, has been graffitied with all sorts of, like, blood and, and stuff like that. It's in Halloween the, in the, season. Halloween, yeah. Yeah, every year we zombify ourselves. And during um, the holiday season, we add all sorts of Christmas, you know, paraphernalia to ourselves. And I got a, a Hanukkah bow tie last year. Which is ridiculous. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, go, I mean, going back to this, to the, to the idea of, of, of you know, of, of personal and professional risk and, and scary moments. I mean, can you can you tell us about some of the uh, like? I, I especially like the 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 relative comparison to being a lawyer, where you know you're on someone else's time, you know, killing yourself, mm. and now. You know, the, you're you're obviously out there investing yourself with a lot of excitement. But what are some of the sacrifices that you've made personally to get updated to where it is? There's there's a lot of sacrifices. You put in a, a lot of hours, and it never really stops. Uh, it's a and it's a very stressful job. Being an entrepreneur is it's stressful in a different way than client service. Um, entrepreneurship to me is it's essentially creating something out of nothing, but I, I think the analogy of going through a complicated maze is like the best analogy for, for entrepreneurship because you know on the other side of this maze, if you can get to the other end, there might be a scalable, defensible, successful business, but you really have no clue how to go through this maze and, and what the right turns are and what the right paths are. And so that's really stressful because you don't know what the right direction is. And oftentimes you hit a wall and you either need to try to figure out how to break through that wall or turn around and go back in the other direction and try and find another turn to, you know, to get you through the maze. And that's, that uncertainty is really stressful. Um, and I don't, think, I don't think it's for everybody, but I think entrepreneurs that have seen some success are probably really good at getting through the maze and figuring out where they've made mistakes and going the other direction or breaking through walls that appear, you know, that would be would it seem impossible to break through at, at first instinct. So uh, this is a quote that I pulled um, uh, from you. Uh, so yeah. to me, I, I'm not sure who you told this to, but you said, uh, to me, entrepreneurship is completely dedicating yourself to creating something out of nothing. It's not simply taking a risk and hoping to realize big rewards. Creating something out of nothing also tends to present numerous challenges and roadblocks. You're talking about mazes, so roadblocks would seem insurmountable. I believe that great entrepreneurs who I look up to can help their team push through those roadblocks and find solutions. Yeah. So this is nicely consistent with your maze metaphor there. But I mean, how are you? How are you pushing people? I mean, you kind of said I'm already kind of hands off. I like to let people do their thing. But how? Do, how are you? You know, the guy who's helping to break log jams and roadblocks for your team. So I think the key thing is to inspire the team that. 
it's worth breaking through those boundaries because at the end of the maze is a there's a huge opportunity for us so i think everybody on our team believes that if we can push through this maze there's a business on the other side that's so valuable and so exciting to be a part of that it's worth dedicating themselves to push through those boundaries. Or if I say to them, hey guys, I'm sorry, I led us in the wrong direction, we gotta back up and go in the other direction, that they're gonna you know, be on my side and come with me and they're, they're there for the journey with me, that's the key. And so I think because they're inspired and they believe in the vision that they're, they're, there, they're there with me, they're on my side. Um, and I'm, as I said, I'm hiring people that essentially know how to break through those boundaries. That's the key. Because I don't necessarily know how to break through those boundaries, but I'm hiring people who do. So when I'm, for example, when I'm hiring people in the, for our sales team in the real estate space, you know, they often have 10, 20 years of experience. They know the industry inside and out. So they actually can break through the walls in a way that I never could. So I'm hiring people that'll do a far better job than I could. So you, got, you have 2% of the market. 100% market is never realistic for someone. There are yep. some people who will you know, do things the old-fashioned way. Um, but what, what's the ambition? I mean, do you, do you feel like we want to have a third of all the moves out there, or 20%? Well, we think eventually, once our product is so helpful for consumers, no one would ever want to move without it. It would just be silly to move without using Updater because you would just waste 10 to 15 hours organizing all these moving-related logistics, potentially making bad decisions, because there's not a lot of helpful reliable information out there for movers. It's really hard to find a trustworthy moving company and know that you're getting the right price. It's hard to figure out which cable company you should sign up for. You know, it's not it's not easy to go source, um, you know, boxes, transfer your insurance, transfer bank accounts. Like, these things just are a pain. They take a lot of time. But eventually, using our product, you could complete all those tasks in minutes rather than hours and make great decisions and have really helpful contextual content there personalized just for you. No one would ever want to move without it. And so my goal is eventually the product is so good that, you know, everybody uses it. So you realistically, like, you're like <laughs> I, I actually do want 100% of the market. Yeah, right? we actually do, yeah. <laughs> I admire that. Uh, so I, I believe that you're originally uh, uh, from the Boston area, is that right? Yeah. Okay, well, my wife and I are, are very likely, I'm still going to move, come back to New York to uh, do the podcast here and there, but my wife and I are likely moving to Boston. Oh, nice. while, so we'll have to hope that our, that our, our, uh, our real estate agent... Uh, gives us the treat of, of updating. There's a lot in the Boston area that, that uh, use up there, so it was a good chance to get it. Yeah, I want to thank you for being on the show. It's been really interesting. That's a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact choose from premium blinds shades and shutters we even have options for your patio too Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.